Sebastopol, what a joy it is to be with you guys. I tell you, I have had a wonderful, wonderful weekend, and it's not over yet. I've got a few things to share with you, but to start with, thank you. I was supposed to be here a month ago. Some of you realize that. That's why my father stepped in, which was wonderful. I texted him from the hospital bed and said, Pop, I'm headed to surgery. Uh, I'm supposed to be in Sebastopol in about 24 hours, and I'm not going to make it. Are you preaching anywhere? He said, no, I'll cover for you. Um, some reason my gallbladder decided it didn't want to live inside me anymore. Uh, praise the Lord, it's gone, and I feel great. <laughs> and so it is good to be with you. When I get to heaven, I'll ask God why we have those things anyways, um, But because uh, I seem to be doing just fine. It is a joy. Uh, Sebastopol, to tell you, thank you. That's what I wanted to say a month ago, was thank you. You may not realize this, but you have been partners with William Jessup University, San Jose Bible College, which became William Jessup University. You've been partners for longer than we've had a computer, okay? Uh, somewhere back in the mid-'80s, we picked up a, up a computer and started keeping track of all the gifts that churches were giving to help students, and you go way back to then. And we just say thank you. You have touched so many lives. In fact, let's show a picture of the lives, some of the lives you have touched. We have now 1,200 students at William Jessup University. We're in Rockland. We are just east of Sacramento. Anybody been to the campus? We got a couple of hands. Fantastic. I do mean every word that I'm about to say. If you will come by, I will buy you lunch in the cafe. Okay? I mean that. All you got to do is, when you get on campus, where's Jim Jessup? He said he'd buy me lunch. And um, I'm from Sebastopol, and uh, that's all you got to tell me. And I would love to show you the campus because, folks, it's, it's, it's your place. It is a place that 103 churches now, of which you're one of them, 103 churches support the scholarship fund. And you are making a difference in students' lives as they go out to change the world. Uh, one of your own, Angela... <clears throat> Briones just graduated last year, uh, last May. She's serving in a church now as a youth worker in a church in Rockland. But we have students serving on the mission field in the public school system because you can get your teacher's credential. Let's show the next slide. In fact, it shows some of the degrees, if you can read it from there. Uh, in the school system, we have degrees in public policy, and we have students working in Sacramento at the state capitol. We have... Um, Oh, here it is down here. We have uh, students uh, in business, in um, music areas, in counseling and psychology, a lot of great programs. I don't want to do a big commercial. Here's the programs. They're on the back table by the ballot box. So when you throw your ballot in there, grab one of them. Take it with you so you can know who you're partnering with. And our latest magazine tells you all the stuff that's been going on. Sebastopol, thank you. Um, this is what I do. I, I work with 103 churches now who believe in what we're doing and that this is a kingdom effort. Amen? Amen? And it is. You are so much bigger than just this region. You are touching lives around the world as so many of our students are on the field in places I can't even pronounce around the world uh, as missionaries and school teachers and, and other opportunities to be light and truth to others. So thank you for what you're doing. Um, I, I tell you, this, of course, is, a, is the Christmas season and, um, and so I probably should have brought you a Christmas message, okay? But to be honest with you, I just know the challenges you're going through. I know, I know, because you know what? Shepherds are going to come and go, okay? Shepherds will come and go, but the good shepherd will always be with you. 
Amen? And hopefully you're a part of Sebastopol Christian Church because of the good shepherd and not the shepherd who stand up here teaching or the elders who will offer meditations and pray with you and things. Those are great, and those are relationships that you want to cherish and you want to give grace to and you want to love on, but the truth is they will come and go. All right? But the good shepherd will always be with you. But in the, in the spirit of Christmas, um, in the spirit of Christmas, I got some Christmas cards. And I got this one that said, if Christ isn't in Christmas, then Christmas is just plain weird. Because what other time of the year do you sit around in your living room around a dead tree eating candy out of your socks? <laughs> Pretty true. And so I pray, Sebastopol Christmas Church, you'll keep Christ in Christmas. That it will uh, remain in this season the reason why you would gather. I got another Christmas card that said there were four seasons, four stages of Christmas. Four stages of Christmas. This first stage, you believe in Santa Claus. The second stage, you don't believe in Santa Claus. The third stage, you realize you are Santa Claus. <laughs> and the fourth stage, you start to look like Santa Claus. You know? <laughs> That's why I don't grow a beard, because I would start, it's all gray. I would start looking like Santa Claus. Well, what I want to share with you about this morning, though, it really does have to do with Christmas and the fact that Christ was sent, because when he was sent, he started a legacy, a legacy which now you, you as a church, have been engaged in for more than 50 years, I believe. I, I, don't, I forgot to ask the exact length of the, this church when it was started. But there's a legacy there, a heritage that has been passed on to you and that now you need to pass on to others. And I thought, well, if I'm going to share about what Christ has done as a legacy, I want to share with you what my family, because I, I feel very blessed of what, I have, what has been passed on to me, what my family passed on to me in what was important in life. And if I had to boil down all of the things that they taught through Scripture, my father and my mom, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, what they taught to me out of Scripture, through their lives, what would I share with you, my brothers and sisters? Because you see, we sang to God, our Father, this morning. You're all calling Him your Father, amen? Okay, that makes us brothers and sisters. And you can pick your friends, but you're stuck with your relatives. Okay? And I come to you as a relative today, a brother of yours, to share with you what my earthly family shared with me from God's word. And I hope that just one or two of these things you might take home with you. That they might encourage you in this season as you head through this transition time. Because you know what, folks? Um, it, this won't be easy. Let me just be honest with you. It won't be easy. If you're visiting today and you're thinking, what's he talking about? As you look towards getting a new preacher, you look towards a new pastor for this congregation, Change will happen, and it'll be tough. There'll be things, you're looking at new elders. There's going to be some new elders, and change will happen. Some of you weren't, ha weren't happy when things changed up here. Last time I preached here was 2011, and I thought, something's different. But some of you probably, no, no one told me you weren't happy. I'm just telling you, I know. I know the church. I'm in a different church every Sunday. And some of you weren't happy that change happened. Look at this. You put bulletproof glass around your drummer. <laughs> Some of you did not want drums. Huh? And I'm being honest, and, and, and you know I'm speaking the truth. Change will happen, and you have got to be ready to be gracious in the change. And we'll talk about that a little later on, but here's what. 
I want to share with you. These three things, and if you take one of these home and hold on to it, I pray it blesses your life today. But if I were to boil down all, that my was ta- all I was taught from Scripture, from the lives of my parents and grandparents and great-grandparents, number one is this. You are a living example. You are a living example. From when I was a little kid, I... I realized my parents would remind me, Jim, how you live speaks volumes about what you believe. How you live tells others what you believe about God. The way in which you act and react to the world around you preaches. It preaches. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, and I think it's on the screen here. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. What a bold statement that is to make. And I stand before you saying, look, don't follow my example. Man, I make a lot of mistakes. And if my wife were here, which she does join me sometimes, but when I preach three times in a row, she says, whoa, I can't handle that much of you. Um, So she's not here with me, and I apologize. It's been great to have you meet her. But she would say, don't follow that guy. He makes mistakes, and I do. So for me to stand up and say to you, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ, that's a bold statement, but catch this. Catch this. You know there are people in your life who will never pick up God's word. At your job, maybe some of your family, people you run into, some of them are never going to pick up God's word. They've already decided the Bible is old. It doesn't have anything to do with life today. It is not relevant. So they're not going to pick it up. If they never pick up God's word, where will they understand God's word if they don't see it in your life? You may be the only Bible that some people will ever read. Yeah. And I was not told that as a guilt thing. I was not, Jim, straighten up, you know. I was just told, Jim, you know, you realize that? By how you live, you are preaching the gospel. By how you live, you're telling others what you think about God. Powerful. We are all living examples. So, Basketball Christian Church, you are a powerful example for this community. As each service has gotten bigger, this is cool. I really think you ought to look at a Fort. No, I'm just kidding. Because uh, this is really neat. There are still cars, however, going by, and I wonder how many people in this community need a great home like this. But they watch your life to see if you're living out what you believe. This is worth writing down if you're taking notes. Four words. Actions create habits. Habits, I'll repeat it, habits create character. And character creates destiny. Actions, all those things that we do in life, over and over and over again, they create a habit out of our life. Habits that we get formed and and that we live out. Actions create habits. Habits create character. It develops who we are when we do something a whole lot and it becomes a habit of our life. It creates character. And character creates a destiny. With that in mind, check out my great-grandparents here in the picture, Calvin and Matilda Jessup. Down at the Highway 99 exit, uh, Keys exit, just south of Ceres, that's where he was an elder, that's where he lived, and he was an elder at the Ceres Christian Church, a partner church from all the way back in 1939 that is still there that I go preach at. One of our alums is the pastor there, Adam Miller. He was an elder at that church, and around the early 1800s, all six kids were born, the youngest was my grandfather, William Jessup, who we'll look at in a minute. He went out to the stable to get the horses, to hook them up to the carriage, to take them into church one Sunday morning. He got out out to the horses, and they had all gotten out. They had busted out. 
He yells out. They didn't come back. He says to the family, we're walking to church, about a three-mile walk into downtown Ceres. When they got to the church, what was waiting for them? The horses. And he reasoned with the family, and the story has been passed on throughout the years, that he believed the horses were so used to going to church that when they got lost, that's where they went. Powerful story. Amen, brother. It is. Because why? Because actions create habits. Habits create character. And character creates destiny. You see, and in your life, you are a living example to a world who may never pick up God's word. You are a living example. Well, their youngest was William Jessup. Here's a picture of them when uh, my grandpa Bill and grandma Carrie, and them I knew very well. I didn't know my great-grandparents. They passed before I, I knew them. But them, grandpa didn't die until I was 26 years old, and grandma about eight years later. And he was an amazing encourager. She was too. They were, they were just wonderful. He's the one who started San Jose Bible College in 1939 that we have now renamed it in Rockland to William Jessup University. But I left in 80. Nine, I left for seminary in Illinois, and when I arrived, I was given an opportunity to preach uh, as the pastor of this little church in Mount Auburn while I was going through seminary, and I got a letter from my grandfather, and it was a great letter of encouragement. Jim, I love you. Just want you to know I'm behind you. I know it's hard being back in the Midwest, and it is, folks. <laughs> Don't you love living out here? Oof, they can have it back there. But anyways, I, I, I'm, I'm back there, and I'm going to school, and I'm trying to be a daddy to a six-month-old, and my wife and I are fairly newly married, and I'm trying to pastor a little church, and I didn't understand the culture, and, and I got this really encouraging letter, and I read it, and, and, and I almost, you know, cried a little bit and stuff, and I just, I set it aside, and a few days later, I thought, well, I mean, it was a nice letter. I read it. I threw it away. Next week, I got another letter from him, and I read it, and it was encouraging, and I threw it away. And the next week, I got another letter from him. And I thought, you know what? This old guy's not going to stop. <laughs> He's probably just going to keep writing. So I grabbed a manila folder like this, and I threw it in my file cabinet. And, and every week, <clears throat> I could count on a letter coming on Friday. Just saying he loved me. Telling me about his, his life and how things were going in San Jose and how it was going at the church and at the college. And just wishing me the best to hang in there with what God has in store for me, to keep using my gifts, to keep shining my light, to keep focused on God. And I could have just told you that he wrote me every week, but some of you would go, no. But he wrote me every week, not because he thought someday I'll stand up and I'll show this to a church. You know, he wasn't thinking that. He wrote me every week just because he cared and he loved me. And, you know, it causes me to say, will I be that kind of example for my kids? I'm a, grand, I'm a grandpa, as was mentioned, and he's two and a half. He can't read yet, but I plan on writing him. He probably won't hold up a bunch of letters someday, but maybe he'll hold up his cell phone and scroll through a bunch of texts from Grandpa Jim saying, you know what, look, my grandpa loves me. And this isn't a parenting message, and it's not about, it's not about um, your earthly family. It's about the family of God. You see, people are watching you. When you leave this place, some of you are going to go to a restaurant, probably. And when you go to a restaurant, maybe you'll pray. And people will see you. And I hope you won't pray real loud with your arms in the air, making a spectacle of yourself. 
I hope you'll just pray thanking God that he's blessed you enough that you can go out to eat, that you have food. And people are watching that because you are a living example. I'm a living example. And it's just so powerful to remember, folks. Well, my parents taught me this. Here's a picture of them. This is on their 50th wedding anniversary. They've now been married 60 years. They're both doing well. And, uh, oh, you know what? Leave the picture there, but I, I got to tell you, I, I didn't tell you. My grandfather and my father and I, on April 12, 1992, we were asked to speak at a church in Morgan Hill. And um, I don't know, my dad might have told you this story. The nut does not fall far from the tree. You heard that line before? The nut, yeah, so we preach a lot alike, and we got the same stories because we grew up together. My father and grandfather and I were preaching in Morgan Hill guest speakers at a church and to talk about passing on your faith to your kids. Grandpa was 86 years old. He went first. He shared his message and he sat down. I got up to preach. I got halfway through my talk and my wife yells out at me, Jim, I was right in the middle of a great illustration and she's yelling at me. And I looked down and I realized she was holding on to my grandpa because his head had gone back, his mouth open. He had a heart attack and he died halfway through that service, April 12th, 1992 at South Valley Christian Church in Morgan Hill. Obviously, I stopped. I jumped down. I began the mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation, and a Boy Scout leader did the compressions, and we didn't bring him back. But it was really cool to hear his last message. And it was really cool to hear him talk, him be able to know that he heard me talk about how I was passing my faith on to my kids and to those around me. Now, no one has died since while I've been preaching, okay? <laughs> so y'all keep breathing, all right? But if you feel like something's coming on you, you know, get your life right with the Lord, okay? This morning might be smart. Well, uh, Grandpa passed that kind of faith on to many people. Um, in fact, maybe some of you here knew my grandfather. Uh, in fact, uh, Stan Briggs, who was in your church up until a few years ago, uh, used to work there at the college. And uh, we have others, I think, who are maybe uh, friends and alums of the school here. Well, my mom and dad, they, they taught me a lot through God's word by their example. My mom taught me a lot about prayer. Oh, a lot about prayer, man. Because I don't know how many times she'd look at me and say, you better pray, that'll come out of the carpet. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Is this on? That was good. Because you had to pray. You had to pray. Do I need to explain that one? I had to pray a lot as a kid because I made a lot of mistakes. But I remember she would carry me up to bed all the way into my junior high years. She would carry me on her back. And my feet are dragging on the steps. Not every night, but quite a few times. She would carry me. I'd say, Mom, why are you doing this? I want to pray with you. She would drop me down into bed. And I remember into junior high, man, I'd lay down on bed and I would look up at the ceiling while she was praying, wondering if there's any God up there. Who is she praying to? I heard my dad preach all the time, but I don't know. It was their faith, not mine. And I was listening. And I'm not so sure about all this. But she kept praying. She's an example. Until prayer became important to me. So that when I had kids, you know what I did? Yeah, I bought a single-story home. And, and I, I, I carried them off to bed. And I, I was no dummy. I carried them off to bed. And I would throw them into bed. And I would kneel down and just pray with them. And it wasn't every night. And again, this is not a parenting thing, but it's the example that's seen, right? Because your life preaches so much more than the words that come out of your mouth. Well... 
some of the example that's happened in my family is just plain silly. And some of you probably saw this picture because I'm sure my dad showed it to you. But my grandfather in, in 1975, was it? Yeah, he was 70 years old. And William Jessup climbs Half Dome because he wants to stand on his head on top of Half Dome. So what happens? His youngest son, Velty, my, my uncle, he climbs it on his 70th birthday, stands on his head. My dad climbs it on his 70th birthday, stands on his head. I've been up Half Dome like four times. And it's silly. In fact, it's so silly that the Plaster Herald, our newspaper article, our, they picked it up and said, one half dome meets another. Because they're not all there. You know? The Jessup family has got a screw loose. Why are they climbing to high places and standing on their head? But do you realize what I will do when I'm 70 years old? Man, I, I will climb that dome again. And I'll stand on my head. And, and somehow, in some way, I don't know, just remember the example that was set before me. And my father had, I'm sure he boasted when he was here a month ago, and he had to go one further, and this next slide shows you. On his 80th birthday this summer, his 80th birthday, he turned and looked at me and said, I want to do it again. I said, oh, my. So we climbed Half Dome on June 11th, and there we got my son and I, got him into the headstand, because he couldn't do that on his own, got him into the headstand, and we both backed off, and then you see me in the bottom picture running to catch him because he fell over. You know, the world looks at this and says it's pretty silly. And you look at it, and you say, that's pretty silly, right? But the world looks at what you're doing right now and says it's pretty silly. Think about it. That you come into a place to talk to a God you cannot see and sing songs to a God the world says doesn't exist. But you know in your heart, he's there. And he made a difference in your life. And I want you to understand something, folks. There's younger people in this congregation that are looking across at you. If you're 60, 70 years old, 80 years old, there's younger people looking across and saying, I wonder how they did it. How did they make it through when they lost their job? How did they make it through when they lost their spouse? How did they make it through when they got cancer? How did they make it through when they lost a child? And you are a living example for younger people who would come up in this church. You with me? Yeah. Because this is a legacy thing. It's not about you. It's about Christ through you and how he will be seen. You are a living example. Number two, and I'll move quicker here. Number two, people are more important than things. Man, if I had to boil down all that my parents taught me and what I learned from my family and through God's word, it is people are more important than things. And the problem is we're in a society where stuff is valued so highly. You've got to have the right stuff to be happy, right? You just have to have the right stuff. All this stuff we think we have to have. And I'm not opposed to having stuff. I have a car out there. Now, if you saw the car, you'd laugh at it. <laughs> 99 Dodge Stratus. It's the one with all the paint peeling, but it gets me there. Amen? And when I have stuff. I have a house. Well, B of A has the house. I got like 11 more years, and I got the thing paid off. But I got stuff. It's not wrong to have the things that money can buy as long as in the process you don't lose the things that money can't buy. Yeah. And we hold on to that. And you hold on to verses like this, Hebrews 13, 5, which we put on the screen here. If you're into memorizing verses, and you should be, because when you memorize verses, you hide God's word in your heart so that you might not sin against him, right? That's why you memorize verses. Hebrews 13, 5 says, keep your lives free from the 
love of money and be content with what you have, for God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. A powerful verse in this season when we think we have to have all just the right Christmas gifts, huh? Ah. When in reality, we tend to find ourselves buying a lot of stuff for people who already have everything they need, and I'm in that camp. But again, it's not wrong to have the things that money can buy. As long as in the process, we don't lose the things money can't buy. Money, however, gets in the way of God. Money becomes our God so easily. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll love one and hate the other, or he'll despise one and be devoted to the other. He says you cannot serve both God and money. You see, it's not wrong to have the money. It's wrong to love the money. Because then your heart will follow what you love. He says in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart will always follow what you treasure. And man, it, it just messes up our relationships. Money can mess up our marriages. It messes up our friendships. It messes up our very lives. Harold and Marge were at the county fair. Harold saw this airplane ride, open cockpit, dual wing, real airplane near the airstrip on the edge of the fairgrounds. Airplane ride, 10 bucks. He said, Marge, I want to ride that there plane. Marge said, Harold, that plane costs $10. And $10 is $10. So, of course, Harold didn't get to ride. Next year, they're back at the county fair. Harold says, Marge, come on, I'm not getting any younger. I want to ride that there plane. Marge says, Harold, that ride costs $10. And $10 is $10. Well, the pilot overheard him. And he said, hey, folks, I tell you what, I'll take you both up in the plane if you can keep from making a sound, not a peep. I won't charge you the $10. They said, okay. They hopped in the plane. He took off and did every whip and turn and barrel roll he could to get him to holler out. I mean everything he could, not a peep. He landed the plane. He turned back. He said, Harold, I did everything I could to get you two to holler out. I didn't hear a word. Harold said, well, I was going to say something when Marge fell out of the plane, but $10 is That's silly, but look, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Amen? Yeah. And, and, and in, this, in this season, as you gather around the Christmas tree and all those gifts are sitting under there, remind the people whom you're sitting with, the greatest gift that was ever given was who? It was Jesus, man. We give these little gifts to each other to remind ourselves of the greatest gift that was ever given. Not because we need that new electronic gadget. People are more important than things. And you know, the, here's one of the challenges, folks. We believe we own things. I, I'll start stepping on some toes here now, but I'm a guest preacher. You don't have to have me back. <laughs> but we believe we own things. Like I just told you, I have a car. That's not my car, man. I have a house, but that's, I really don't own that house. The truth is I manage those things. You do too. I know some of you don't believe that. You say, no, 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 no. I got the pink slip at home, man. I paid for that car, and the title is mine. That is my house. Folks, I can prove to you it's not yours. Simply by asking you this question. How many of you have ever seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul? Wow. You know, you probably have never seen it because you can't take it with you. 
You have been given an amount of time in which to manage all that God has given you. The question is, how will you manage it to his glory? At the end, you probably won't care about whether you had that bigger house. In fact, when I was a chaplain in Illinois, going through my seminary studies, I had to be a, a hospital chaplain during those study periods. And I, uh, I never once had someone on the oncology unit, of which was my unit, all cancer and leukemia and internal medicine, and it was a sad place for many people. I never once had one of them say to me, you know, before I go, I wish I'd have bought a bigger bass boat. I wish before I, I go, I, I wish I'd have had a bigger home. But I had a whole lot of them say to me, you know, I, I wish I'd have spent more time with this one person. I wish I'd have, I wish I'd have asked forgiveness of this person. Sebastopol Christian Church, uh, when it comes to the end, uh, you'll realize people are a lot more important than things. Yeah, but don't wait till the end to make it count. It was uh, John Rockefeller, one of the wealthiest men in the world at the time. When he died, a story goes that someone asked his accountant, how much did John leave? And his accountant replied, all of it. <laughs> you are a living example. People are more important than things. Third and last, keep looking forward. Keep looking forward. That's a tough thing to do. It's a tough thing to do. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 at verse 13, he says, forgetting what is behind, this is a popular verse and you've probably heard this before, but powerful one to keep in mind as well. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. In Christ Jesus, forgetting what is behind. Man, that's tough to do. Do you know what we do as, as, as human beings? We, we get stuck in one of two streams of the past, and we stay in one of those two streams. One of the streams is the stream of regret, the stream of I wish I would have, I wish I, I, I should have. If only I had done this when I was in high school. If only I had done this when I was in college. If I, if I, if I hadn't made this mistake when I was in my 20s. If I hadn't done that. And we stay there and we keep beating ourselves up about it instead of looking towards the future and what God has in store for you and all that he has planned. The other stream of, of, that we get into of our past, we get in the stream of successes. And we can get up into my age range in the 50s, in the 60s and 70s, and we look back and go, man, I was really good when I was in 30, when I was CEO of this company, when I was running this, when my marriage was good. When we were first married and we didn't have any kids. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, you know, no, when, when our kids were little, uh, when, when, when things were really going good and we want to live there, but we can't. God is not so concerned about the past as he is. What's going to happen for you guys? What's going to happen tomorrow? I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. Amen? Yeah. And I've got to forget about the past and I've got to move into the future. Boswell Chambers said, beware. Beware of spending too much time looking back at what you once were when God wants you to become something you have never been. Beware of spending too much time looking back at what you once were when God wants you to be something you have never been. He has such a great plan. I believe this for Sebastopol Christian Church. Now, I'm going to step on some more toes in a minute. Hang with me. 
If you've got your paper and, and you're taking notes, this is worth writing down because for me, this was life-changing. Just draw a circle. Draw a circle and at 12 o'clock, write the word healthy because I want to talk to you about what is healthy, what is maturing in Jesus. How a church is going to do it, how you do it personally with a circle at the top, 12 o'clock, write the word healthy because healthy things at about 2 o'clock now, write the word grow. So at 12 o'clock, you got the word healthy. At 2 o'clock, you got the word grow. Healthy things, they grow. They do, don't they? Your plants in your yard, the, your animals, uh, your kids, healthy things grow. Your job, if it's healthy, it's growing. It's getting bigger, right? The business that you work out, wherever you're at, it's healthy, it grows. Your church, healthy things grow. Now, down here about 5 o'clock, write the word change. Change. You see, healthy things grow but growing things, they change. You with me? Give me a little nod every once in a while. Good. All right, still awake. We're almost done. Hang in there. Like King Henry VIII said to his fourth wife, I won't keep you long. <laughs> okay. <laughs> healthy, healthy. Come back to me. Healthy things, they grow. Growing things, growing things, they change. They do. They change, man. This has changed, hasn't it? The look of the church has changed. People, different people are here. It has changed. There'll be new, some new elders. There'll be a new pastors. Healthy things grow. Growing things change. Over here at about 7 o'clock, write the word pain. P-A-I-N, pain. Healthy things grow. Growing things change. But change brings pain. Yeah. It does. When I was in junior high and I was growing, oh, man, I was growing fast. And I would come home, my knees were killing me. Because my body was changing so much. I had to put ice on my knees in the afternoon just to get through the pain. Because a healthy thing was growing. And that growth meant change. But that change brought pain. And about 10 o'clock, write the word, rely on God. Rely on God at about 10 o'clock. Rely on God. Because healthy things grow. Growing things change. Change will bring pain. But pain will bring you to rely on God if you'll stay in the cycle. You see, you've got to stay in the cycle. You rely on God. And if you rely on God, what's the next step? It's healthy. You're with me. Way to go, all two of you. It's healthy. Because healthy things do what? They grow. And growing things change. And change brings pain. And pain will bring a Reliance on God, and reliance on God is healthy. But not if you step out of the cycle. As soon as there's pain felt in your life, too many of us, we step out of the cycle. We say, oh, well, I don't like that. And you do. At your job, when it doesn't go the way you like, you know what a lot of people do? They step out of the cycle and find a new job. They're in their marriage, and it was, was doing real good. Oh, this is too painful. And they step out. Man, when you stay in the cycle, it's maturing towards God. Picture it if you lay it down flat like it probably is now on your paper, and you picture it like a spiral. 
and you stay in that spiral right towards God, you're getting closer and closer to knowing him and his heart and his plan for your life if you don't step out. Guys, here's my challenge for you. Sebastopol Christian Church, change is coming. I know this. Every Sunday, pretty much, I'm in a different church preaching. Next Sunday, I'm in Merced with a little church that hasn't embraced change. They're struggling and they're dying. And I hurt for them. But they have all stepped out of the cycle of maturity. And they've stopped growing. And it's not healthy anymore for them. It's not healthy. Change is coming. And if you'll stay in the cycle and not give up, there's growth in your own life and there'll be growth in this church. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Bless you. And I hope you'll remember it and hold on to it. Change is really hard. Last, lastly, I'll wrap this up. Change is really hard. I don't like the fact that I'm changing. I looked in the mirror the other day. Us guys, we just look, you know, uh, you get what you get, right? And, and you leave. You ladies, you pick up that extra mirror and you look, you look at yourself all the way 360, don't you? Huh? Right, ladies? I saw my wife's mirror. I picked it up the other day. I went like this. I went, oh, no. <laughs> it was all gone, you know? <laughs> I don't know what happened to it just overnight. There was this guy watching his wife get ready. It was her birthday. He says to her, honey, you know, you don't look too happy. And she's looking in the mirror. She's not liking another year and what it has done to her. There's extra here, you know. And she's looking at it. I don't like myself. He says, oh, honey, what do you want for your birthday? And she says, oh, I wish I was six again. He grabs her by the hand. He takes her to an amusement park. He puts her on all kinds of rides, gets her hot fudge sundae, cotton candy. On the way home, gets her a happy meal at McDonald's. They get home. She plops on the couch. Now she's feeling even worse. All bloated, you know, from the junk food. And she's sitting there, and he says, how did it feel to be six again? She looks at him, her eyes get huge. She said, is that what this was about? I meant my dress size, dummy. You know, we change, folks, right? Whom you've married has changed. The people around you change. By the way, here's a quick freebie. I I'm probably holding you over. I'm sorry. You know why married women, don't get mad at me, hang with me the whole story, you know why married women tend to be a little larger than single women? Because when a single woman gets home, she looks at what's in the fridge and she goes to bed. But when a married woman gets home, she looks at what's in the bed and she goes to the fridge. <laughs> ah. <clears throat> so uh, fellas, just embrace the change, okay? embrace the change. Look, we can take care of ourselves, but the truth is change happens. And it's going to happen to Sebastopol Christian Church. It's going to happen in your lives. It's going to happen in your marriages. It's going to happen in your jobs. It's going to happen at this church. Be gracious to the new guy. Okay? Or maybe they'll call me back to come step on some more toes <laughs> and tell you that, folks, you're a wonderful church. And there are so many people out there who need to know of a great place where they can be loved where they can find the truth, and where they can know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So keep loving him. Remember, you're a living example. Remember that people are more important than things. And remember, remember to keep looking forward. Let me close with this quick story. <clears throat> Don't preachers always say that? Don't you hope your next one never says, I'm going to close with this and goes 20 more minutes? 2004, Summer Olympics, true story. Matt Emmons, American. 2004 Summer Olympics, Athens, Greece. Matt Emmons is in the 50-meter rifle competition. He is so good. He is so good. He's so far ahead in points 
that all he has to do is get it on the target and he has the gold medal wrapped up. He doesn't need a bullseye, just get it on the target to score enough points. Gold medal is wrapped up. Problem was he knew it. He lined up for his final shot. He fired the shot and the light did not come on at the end of his scoring row, indicating a shot had been fired. He's bewildered. He's like, what is going on? The judges are called over. They pull in the target. They look at the target. There's no hole anywhere on the target. And then they think, well, let's pull in the target next to his. And when they pull it in, there's a bullseye. In Matt's haste, Matt Emmons, in his haste, he lined up on the wrong target. Can you believe it? And in so doing, he didn't come home with the bronze or the silver or the gold. He came home in eighth place, training all of his life. The, by far, the best competitor in the event. All rights, it should have been his. But he was aiming at the wrong target. And I thought, what a metaphor for life. Oh, Sebastopol Christian Church, I love you. But you've got to be aiming at the right targets. Amen? I've given you three of them. I hope you take one and put it in here and hold on to it. Father, thank you for the chance for me to share. Uh, God, in the inadequacy of my words, I, I just pray there were a few here who needed to, uh, need to just be challenged and encouraged about the fact that they have a fantastic and important role to play in your kingdom. But Father, they can't play that role if they're not aiming at the right target in life. So I pray you're, you'd be with them, encourage them and strengthen them and bring some of these words that, that I pray were from you to walk with them as they leave this place. And thank you, God, we'll give you the glory for all that you've done. In your son's name, amen. amen. God bless you guys. Love you. Thank you. Thanks, buddy.